Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we bring on Dr. Christy Sutton. People who have like the APOE4 gene, they're much more likely to have damage from head injuries because their blood brain barrier doesn't heal up very well after head injuries. So, this is why it's really key to know what your genotype is because if you have the APOE4 gene and your, you know, lifetime goal or career is to play in the NFL, then you're basically at a much higher risk for having severe neurodegenerative issues because you never heal up from that concussion. The blood-brain barrier doesn't heal up. So healing up from those concussions is key. And a key part of that concussion healing up plan for I think just about everybody should be fasting for 24 hours. And then they wanted to figure out when they did the research, they wanted to know why does this help? Is it because the blood sugar is getting low? Um, or is it because the ketones? And they found that indeed the ketones was the reason for the decreased damage to the cerebral cortex. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper. Thanks for pressing play today. I am your host, Ben Azadi. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. Today, we bring on Dr. Christy Sutton, and she's going to talk all about genetics and epigenetics and what are the specific genes to test for when it comes to keto or just health in general. You're going to learn about the benefits of 23andMe, and you're also going to learn about her story. She's got a very inspirational pain-to-purpose story of getting diagnosed with Crohn's disease at the age of 16, having part of her small intestine removed, being diagnosed with skin cancer, many other health issues, being 20 years old, very sick, 78 pounds, and discovering she had a serious vitamin B3 deficiency and what she did to turn things around and why she decided to study genetic detoxification. She's the author of the book, Genetic Testing, which you'll learn about. And we'll get into specific genes like the APOE4 gene and the different alleles for those genes and what are the risk factors if you have one copy, two copies. What about if you have the APOE3 and two and the different ones regarding that gene, which is a very popular question I get asked regarding keto. You learn why, yes, genetics, you can't change the genes you're born with. Those were the cards you were dealt. However, you have control over the expression of those genes, which is very inspiring because your genes are not your destiny. Just because cancer or autoimmune disease or diabetes runs in your family does not mean 
you're going to turn on those genes if we do things the right way. And we talk about that. It's a very empowering conversation. I believe we have, uh, at least according to Dr. Bruce Lipton, 99% control over the expression of those genes. So you learn about her book and her program and so much more. Can't wait to bring her on. Before I do, speaking of genes and speaking of turning on bad genes and turning down good genes and inflammation, the number one cause of inflammation in the body is toxicity. When I say toxicity, I mean environmental toxins like heavy metals, such as mercury, such as lead, and many others which accumulate and store in our body fat, brain tissue, and other tissues and organs. It's important to detoxify these heavy metals the right way. And I'm going to teach a small group. I do this three times a year. I take a small group and I teach them how to detox the right way via my program called True Cellular Detox. With this program, you get all the supplements and testing kits along with coaching from me for Zoom group coaching calls, an online portal to log in and watch videos from Dr. Dan Pompa, Dr. Minnie Peltz, and many, many others. We have three spots left for this program. Hopefully, you are hearing this on time and this is resonating with you. And if it is, go to ketocampdetox.com, watch the short video on there, and then get enrolled. And hopefully, you are one of those three spots left so I could show you how to do this the right way. I want to take a minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is from IB Mom, titled Good Variety on Keto. Ben has great guests and gives lots of varied information on keto plans, intermittent fasting, and is passionate about sharing and helping folks to achieve health. I'm looking forward to learning more from him. Awesome, IB Mom. Thank you so much. We try to get the best of the best in the keto fasting nutrition space. So I appreciate you listening. And I also appreciate you leaving a rating and review. It really helps the show grow and change more lives. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review yet on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from, please do so right now. Before I bring on Dr. Christy Sutton, here's a quick message from today's sponsor. I always say structure trumps intention. You could have all the best intentions in the world, but if you don't have the structure in place, it's going to be very difficult to get the amazing keto and fasting results that you want. If you are on the go, traveling, and you don't want to think about what can you eat to help you feel satisfied and to help you continue getting results on your keto journey, for me, my structure when I'm on the go, when I'm traveling, and when I want to have something nearby that's a healthy snack, my go-to is Paleo Valley's Beef Sticks. Paleo Valley beef sticks are the perfect gut-friendly, clean protein snack for on the go. And if you have children, this is one of the best things to give your kids. These beef sticks are 100% grass-fed and finished by farmers right here in the United States. They contain naturally occurring probiotics, which helps increase the diversity in your gut. It contains organic spices. It has high concentrations of omega-3 fatty acids elevated levels of conjugated linoleic acid, which we know is an antioxidant and also could enhance your body's ability to burn fat. It contains vitamins and minerals, elevated concentrations of glutathione, which is your body's master antioxidant, and it's good for the environment. They have flavors that range from original to garlic summer sausage, regular summer sausage, jalapeno, teriyaki, and they also have turkey sticks available as well. They taste so good. 
that I usually go through three or four, and I think I might set the record for eating almost 10 Paleo Valley beef sticks. Maybe somebody out there has eaten more than me in one sitting. You know, me and my fiance, Natasia, we're always fighting over these beef sticks in our house. We go into the pantry and I hear her unwrapping it and I'm like, hey, are you eating one of my beef sticks? <laughs> they are delicious. And since you are a avid listener of the Keto Camp podcast, we worked out an exclusive deal for you to get 15% off your entire order of Paleo Valley products. All you need to do is head to paleovalley.com and use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order. That is KETOCAMP15 at checkout. We'll also drop a link down below in the show notes. All right, let's have a fun conversation about genetics and epigenetics with Dr. Christy Sutton. Dr. Sutton has studied extensively to help her create a personalized health plan for each patient. She spends time getting to know her patients and works to uncover and correct the underlying causes of health problems and prevent future health problems. In order to help her patients, Dr. Sutton spends time with new patients doing a thorough examination to evaluate their nervous system and other areas of interference. She will also spend time looking at lab work, genetic information, which we're going to talk a lot about today. So without further ado, here is Dr. Christy Sutton. Christy Sutton, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So for those who are not aware, I met Christy in person a few months ago in, at the Systemic Formulas Conference in Park City, Utah. You were a speaker there. I was a speaker there. We got to share the stage together. And you had an amazing presentation on genes and uh, even how to relate, you know, ketosis, the, how to do keto the right way with specific genes you want to pay attention to. And we're going to get into some really cool things today. And before we do, let's start with your story. You've got a really inspirational pain to purpose to promise story. So I believe it starts at the age of 16 when a huge part of your large intestine was removed. But the story is yours. Go ahead and let's, let's uh, go back to your childhood. Yeah, when I was 16, I was diagnosed with Crohn's. And um, they diagnosed me by removing part of my small intestine. And then they said, okay, you have Crohn's. And they never really discussed diet or lifestyle. And there were not a lot of drugs on the market at that point in time. So they gave me what they had and it didn't really do much. And then um, I kind of got through high school and then in college was really more determined to figure out like the underlying cause and there were still not a lot of drugs available so they were giving me wasn't working so I was just really kind of motivated to figure it out and it was a trial and error lots of mistakes were made lots of things tried that failed but eventually um, I figured out like there's certain foods that if I eat them it causes a problem and gluten wasn't really a common term back then back in around 2000 was when I really started trying to figure it out. So, but I kind of put myself on a gluten-free, dairy-free type diet and then started feeling better, but was still having problems. And then eventually um, just had this horrible issue where I was having lots of digestive issues um, and lost a lot of weight. I weighed at 20, about 70 pounds. And That's then, crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was bad. And then... Um, a friend of mine told me to go see this doctor. He's a chiropractor. His name is Dr. Bandy. 
and Austin. And so um, I went to see him. I didn't know he was a chiropractor at the time. And, but I went to see him and I almost didn't go because I found out he was a chiropractor and I was like, wow, I was raised by a medical doctor and so my it was like that chiropractic philosophy. It's woo woo. What are you doing? Sort of. <laughs> well, yeah, growing up, it was always like, they're dangerous. They're quacks. Wow. So by this point in time, I've already wasted so much time and money trying to figure out like how to fix this. And I'm just beaten down and I don't want to throw any more money away or time. And so, so I almost say forget it, but then I don't want to be rude. So I keep my appointment and I go and he's like, you have, um, I've seen a lot of people with Crohn's and they almost all have issues with gluten and cow gluten issues and cow milk and wheat. And they all have pellagra, which is vitamin B3 deficiency. Mm. And so I'm like, um, okay. I mean, sure. That kind of makes sense. Cause the symptoms of pellagra are diarrhea, dermatitis, dementia, and then death. So I wasn't having like cognitive issues that I know of, but I was definitely having the diarrhea and then some dermatitis and getting very close to the, you know, the death part. So I started taking the vitamin B3, the niacinamide that day, and like all of my diarrhea stopped. Wow. And then I gradually kind of rebuilt my gut health and all of that. And um, that kind of just became a big inspiration for the rest of my career as far as finding like the root cause um, and really don't dance around the symptoms, but really find the root cause. Yeah, it's a, it's really interesting. You know, that's in 2000 where gluten-free wasn't really um, a buzzword like it is today. So you kind of intuitively knew when you ate wheat, when you ate dairy, gluten, you felt your symptoms got worse. So you naturally just by experimenting, eliminated that and noticed that you felt better. And then you, you figured out you had low vitamin B3. And then immediately just by taking that, your symptoms improved. So that's amazing. I, I love that you intuitively did that and experimented. And now, of course, there's more extensive testing. And, and now there's gluten-free, dairy-free, all that stuff. But what, at what point did you get to the genetics part of it? Because of course you have your books behind you. It's a genetic, it's called genetic testing, defining your path to a personalized health plan, an integrative approach to optimize health. And I know that came out in 2017. So at what point along this journey did you start to study genetics and the role that it played with your health and the, the health of others? Okay. Yeah. So I went to chiropractic school because of Dr. Bandy and him helping me so much. And in chiropractic school, I remember learning about this gene that interfered, that if you have this genetic variant, then you don't uh, metabolize folate very well. And then I graduate from chiropractic school and I go into practice and I'll give people this methylfolate because I'm, I tell them like, some people have this gene where they don't metabolize methylfolate very well, and they they do really well with this uh, supplement that has methylfolate in it. And so, and I had one girl come in, and she was a young teenager that was suicidal, and her mom was just like grasping at straws. I was kind of just the hail mary, and so I gave her a bunch of this methylfolate and. She came back like not that long later, uh, probably a couple of weeks later. And her mom was like, she's better. She's better. And I'm like, okay, that's really cool. And then I get pregnant and married and moved to Dallas. And then I learn about 23andMe. And 
then that kind of opens up this window to, okay, now genetic testing is affordable, but 23andMe is testing so many different genes. And there's all these people that are saying all these things about it. And I don't really know what is true and what's not true. So then I had a patient who wanted me to, he just kind of employed me to like research it for him. And in researching it for him, I kind of started the process of making this book. So that's the backstory on that. So that that gene, are you referring to the uh, MTFHR? Yeah, the yeah. MTFHR, yeah. Which, and we're not cursing at you listening. That's the, that's the way for content. <laughs> it's like the curse word gene. Yeah. So that's a perfect example. So I've noticed looking at some lab, lab work of some of my uh, clients that those who have that gene, I typically see higher levels of homocysteine. So could mm-hmm. you ex- explain what homocysteine is for those that, who don't know? And what is the correlation between high levels of this uh, inflammatory marker homocysteine and the MTHFR gene? Yeah, that's a good question. So homocysteine is this amino acid that we all have, and it's kind of like uh, glucose, like you need it. You just, if you have too much, it's a problem. If you have not enough, it's a problem. So it kind of needs to be in this range. And unfortunately, the range on lab work is way too large. And it goes all the way down to four and then all the way up to 15. It's actually, it used to be all the way up to 18. It's slowly coming down, but not as fast as it should. And so really, I like people to be more around the six to eight range. If you're above eight on homocysteine, then you're high. And like my opinion, and also the research would show that you're high in homocysteine. And what that means is that you're going to be having more cardiovascular damage, more damage to your vascular system. It's going to increase your risk for dementia-related issues, neurodegenerative issues, atherosclerosis. It's going to increase your risk for leaky blood-brain barrier issues. And a big mechanism of action for that, which not a lot of people are um, as familiar with, is that homocysteine, it converts into this chemical called homocysteine thiolactone. And then the homocysteine thiolactone will then go and bind to the proteins on your body and then just like cause those proteins to be damaged. And it's almost irreversible. And so our body has this ability to convert homocysteine thiolactone back into homocysteine. And it uses this enzyme called the PON1 enzyme. And there's actually a gene for the PON1 gene. And some people that have that gene, they don't convert back into homocysteine as well from that really bad homocysteine thiolactone. And so then they build up higher levels of that toxic chemical if they have this gene. And so there's some things that can help that PON1 enzyme work better, like methylfolate, like we talked about, resveratrol, quercetin, things like that. And then there's chemicals in our environment, like organophosphates that are also metabolized by that PON1 enzyme. So just removing that from your environment, if you can, you know, it's kind of ubiquitous, but choosing to buy organic, make sure you're not having that sprayed around your house or things like that can really um, help to reduce the overall toxic burden on that PON1 enzyme. So because the PON1 enzyme detoxifies the organophosphates, but it didn't evolve for that reason. It evolved to detoxify the homocysteine thiolactone. Just like, you know, 
a lot of these genes, if you kind of look at them, look at the MTHFR gene. Well, that gene, the theory is that it involved so that people could live better in a high malaria environment. So interesting. there's all these evolutionary pressures. That's why that gene is so common in people with a Mediterranean ancestry. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. So then, but the homocysteine, if the homocysteine is too low, that can be a problem. That can mean that like your body is low in glutathione. It's just trying to like push all that homocysteine into the glutathione pathway. So go get your homocysteine tested. Six to eight, you, you said is your optimal range you want to you want to make sure the person hits. So, so we know that genes are something that we inherit through our parents, our parents, parents, et cetera. It's passed on through generation. And we can't necessarily change the genes that we were dealt. But where you come in and your work in your book is, yeah, you might have this gene or that gene and we could identify it, which is important, but we could actually express certain genes, dim the light brighter on good genes and dim down the light on bad genes, which is called epigenetics, right? So can you explain just the difference between the genes we're born with and then this epigenetics process that we have control over? Yeah. So the genes you're born with, it's just, you know, the cards you're dealt, you know, it just is what it is. And you can't really change them so, you know, without some type of future or current technology that we're not using, you can't really change them. It is what it is. And then the epigenetics is really how your environment is going to influence those genes. And so I try not to focus too much on genes that you can't necessarily do very much about. And I think that in truth, in reality, you can do something about pretty much every genetic situation. It's just some genetic situations are so powerful, like cystic fibrosis or PKU, like these, you know, genetic inherited diseases that are like 100% inherited, that if you have those genes, you're definitely going to get those diseases. That's a much harder environmental challenge to balance that genetic issue. Um, But what we're seeing now is there's so many specific epigenetic things, environmental things we can do to affect these genetic um, Achilles heel type issues. And so, you know, that's why I see the value in testing these genes, especially, you know, the earlier, the better, because if you figure out a problem sooner rather than later, then that gives you all of this time to do something about it. And unfortunately, you know, the longer a problem is going on that we're not aware of, usually the harder it is to fix. So time kind of compounds things for the better or worse. So if you're doing the wrong thing unintentionally, perhaps because you just didn't know you had the genetic variant for like that specific issue, then you're over 40 years, it's going to create a lot of problems. But if you figure it out early on, then it could potentially create no problems if you're doing, if you're doing the right things. Yeah, always better to be proactive rather than reactive. Good point right there. I want to take a quick break here to share with you about the dangers of taking fish oil. I know, shocking. I was somebody who took fish oil every single day for years. And then I came across a ton of research showing the dangers of consuming fish oil. I immediately found an amazing product called Pureform. Pureform is a plant-based omega. And the cool thing about Pureform 
is that it is uniquely processed with nitrogen to preserve it and make sure it does not oxidize. These essential fatty acids are cold pressed and you get the proper balance of omega-6 and omega-3 to feed your cells what it desires. We know that life begins and ends at the cell membrane. And when you have the proper fats, the building blocks for those cell membranes, all of a sudden, your fat-burning hormones can do its job. So you lose weight. All of a sudden, your cells produce energy, so you feel good. So we know that cellular health is key for performance and longevity. So I've been taking Pureform every single day. My dog takes it every single day. So does my girlfriend and my mom. This is how much I love the product. If you want to get your bottle delivered to your door, head over to purelifescience.com. Check them out. Order a bottle or two, and you'll be amazed by how you feel after taking this just after a few days. That is purelifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4 to apply a $4 off coupon. That is BEN, B-E-N, and the number four. International shipping is available. Okay, let's go back into this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. So let's relate this conversation now to keto, right? A lot of uh, popular question I get asked all the time. Then I tested and I have the APOE4 gene. Can I do keto or should I do keto differently? So how would you respond to that? That's a good question. So first of all, with the disclaimer that I don't tend to treat people's like genes per Mm -hmm. se, you're treating the whole person. So if somebody says, you know, what can I do for APOE4? We can talk about a laundry list of things that you can and should do with kind of general statements. But if you have the APOA4 gene, which is like the Alzheimer's gene, then you really need to get with somebody that is going to be doing lab testing and working with you and figuring out specifically your situation because everybody is so different. And that gene is just like one part of who you are. So, you know, like, If you have that gene plus you have diabetes, then your risk for having Alzheimer's is exceptionally higher. You're kind of like pushing on the accelerator towards Alzheimer's disease. Diabetes is bad for pretty much everything. I would say for everything, bad for everything, but particularly bad for that Alzheimer's risk. So, you know, I'm not really sure if that's answering the question that you're asking. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's part of it. So definitely work with somebody if you ter- determine you have that gene. You're going to need some custom approaches, but but also could you explain the differences between the different types of the 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 APOE4 gene because there's different alleles that you mentioned at the conference. So let's get into that, and then um, what are so, just some general recommendations you would make? But I know that you said work with somebody, but just general recommendations. Okay, so the three types of the APOE4 the APO gene. Uh, So there's three types. There's APOE3. So APOE3 is the most common. About 75% of people have that. That's considered neutral as far as Alzheimer's disease goes. If you're a 3-3, which most people are, then you're pretty neutral as far as Alzheimer's disease. It's not going to dramatically increase or decrease your risk. If you have the APOE4 gene, then you are at an increased risk. So if you have one APOE4 gene, and one APOE3 gene, then you're a 3-4, and then you're about two to four times more likely to have Alzheimer's disease, depending on your environmental risk factors. 
you're also at a higher risk for having dementia and Alzheimer's start at an earlier age than somebody that doesn't have that gene. So if you have two ABOE4 genes, which is a 4-4 genotype, then you're in that highest risk pool and you're at a much higher statistical rate of having Alzheimer's disease. And the symptoms are likely to start much lower, like around, this is late onset Alzheimer's disease, not just early onset. Early onset's before 65, late onset is after 60, 65 or after. And um, if you have that ABOE4 4 genotype, then you're more likely to have Alzheimer's disease and it's more likely to start as far as the symptoms showing up pretty early around age 65. Mm-hmm. So if you're a 3-4, it's likely to show up around 75. If you're a 3-3, you're likely to show up more around like 85 if you're going to have Alzheimer's disease, which you can still have if you don't have the genotype for ApoE4. It's just going to take longer and be harder for you to have it. And then there's the ApoE2 genotype, which is much, it's pretty rare. Only about 5% of the population has it. And that's actually protective against Alzheimer's disease because that gene um, clears the beta amyloid pro- uh, proteins faster. So those beta amyloid proteins are like the Alzheimer's proteins that kind of lead to the tau damage in the brain that you see if you were to like dissect an Alzheimer's brain. So those are the three types, ApoE3, ApoE4, and ApoE2. Now, occasionally you'll see somebody that has like a four and a two. So the four being pro-Alzheimer's, the two being protective for Alzheimer's. And those are kind of enigmas. And I personally treat them like, bad news, you have the Alzheimer's disease gene, and this is what you need to do to prevent Alzheimer's disease. Good news, you also have two, which is gonna be slightly protective, but that does not mean that you're not going to get Alzheimer's disease if you don't do these things. Well said. So let's talk about some of the precautions somebody should make in general, right? What role, does saturated fat play with uh, ApoE4 gene having two of the alleles? What would you say to somebody with those and should they modify the saturated fat intake? Yes, so ApoE4 genotypes are at an increased risk for atherosclerosis too, in addition to dementia and Alzheimer's disease. And part of that atherosclerosis, like the clogging of the arteries, can accelerate the dementia and Alzheimer's disease because if you don't have enough blood flow because you know your arteries are clogged, then you're not gonna be getting enough blood to the brain and then you can have like vascular dementia on top of Alzheimer's dementia. So, but the cardiovascular disease is a serious issue with ApoE4. And the diet that's been shown to be the most effective for ApoE4 type people is the Mediterranean type diet. Now, having said that, you know, just making sure you're eating the fish and the vegetables and the fruits and nuts and stuff like that. I'm not a huge fan of eating a lot of carbs, like, you know, especially processed pastas and stuff like that. I just don't think there's a lot of nutritional value and you can still get those blood sugar spikes with that type of stuff. And then intermittent fasting is really good for these people because the intermittent fasting, as you're insulin levels gets lower and your blood sugar gets lower, then your body's gonna have this insulin degrading enzyme that's gonna go and it's gonna digest and remove those beta amyloid proteins from your brain, especially while you sleep. And this is why, you know, if you're gonna do intermittent fasting where you eat during a short window of time during the day, then, you know, it's better to do that 
during the day and not like late at night. Not saying that people are going to not fast at night because you just fast at night. That's just that's just part of sleeping. Sorry, saying is it preferred that the person has breakfast, lunch, skips dinner, or they have lunch, dinner, and skips breakfast? I mean, based on what you said, I've seen some research that has shown that if you start eating earlier in the day and then finish eating earlier in the day, like shift that eating time earlier rather than later. Got it. That's a lot better because you're kind of more with the circadian rhythm. Yeah. And like, unfortunately for a lot of people, their work life is not, doesn't allow them maybe to do that. And if you're one of those people that you just can't physically like make that time work because you have to eat later just because your work life or family or whatever then I think even if you can't fast in that later part of the day because you eat in the earlier part of the day, then I still think that it's better to do that, you know, time-restricted eating where you're getting your calories in a narrow window, even if it's not in that ideal time. But back to your point, the AgoE4 people, they have this beta amyloid protein that's building up in their brain because their body doesn't remove it as well because the AgoE4 gene, that protein doesn't remove it as well. And so if you're fasting, then your insulin degrading enzyme is going to go and it's going to be able to remove that protein while you sleep. So intermittent fasting is huge for these people. And it's been shown not just to be good for Alzheimer's disease, but pretty much all neurodegenerative diseases. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody should be doing some, some form of intermittent fasting or, or uh, a strategy with it. And sleep, you know, you mentioned sleeps where your your body and your your brain is you're activating the glymphatic system. So, how important is it for us to get that quality sleep, especially if you find yourself with some of these genes? Um, I mean, it, it's probably the top thing, honestly. Like for my patients, usually the first priority is let's get you sleeping because if you're not getting good sleep, then you can't really handle anything else. Like I'm, I, I can't say you need to eat this way and exercise this way and take these supplements because like they just can't even handle anything in their life without getting good sleep. Everything is so much easier if you have the energy to do it. And without sleep, you don't have the energy. You're just asking somebody to do more when they're in an energy deficit. Yeah. So like a lot of these people with ApoE4 genes, their brain is in an energy energy deficit because their blood-brain barrier is breaking down much faster just simply from having that ApoE4 gene. And part of that blood-brain barrier breaking down much faster means that they're not going to be able to transport ketones and glucose and omega-3s across the blood-brain barrier like they should. So they need the ketones because that's going to be a clean fuel that will allow their brain to survive the energy deficit better. But you really have to look at the blood-brain barrier too, and making sure that people have plenty of antioxidants and DHA, you know, and remove the triggers that can cause a leaky blood brain barrier. Yeah, very important. Sleep, I agree, it's, it's fundamental. And you, you said it, everything becomes easier if your sleep is uh, optimized. And the opposite is true. Everything is much harder, difficult if you're not getting quality sleep. So for those of you who are not getting quality sleep, start right there optimize your sleep. Your body is doing amazing things during sleep. Whether you have these genes or not, sleep's going to be imperative. And then what I was hearing is that you're at higher risk for cardiovascular disease if you have this APOE4 gene. So you really want to be diligent with avoiding like uh, seed oils, vegetable oils, these inflammatory fats, 
and do more Mediterranean, monounsaturated fats, you know, having fish and olives and, and the things that those diets recommend. So what are there any other genes specifically for those doing keto that they should pay attention to? Well, there's the IDE gene, which, which is the insulin degrading enzyme gene. And there, if, you, there, if you have like the risk gene for that, then your body doesn't make as much insulin degrading enzyme. And then you're going to have higher levels of insulin. Um, so it's going to be more important for you to do fasting because if you're not fasting and or if you're also eating a lot of sugar, then you're going to have more insulin and then you're already like the deck's already stacked against you. You don't degrade insulin very quickly. And then you add all this extra insulin pumping thing to your environment, like not fasting and eating a bunch of sugar. And then you're going to just have more issues with in general, like more inflammation and stuff like that. And then there's the brain derived neurotrophic factor gene. So BDNF, um, if you have the risk gene for BDNF, then you're going to be making less brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is like, you know, brain fertilizer. So important for your brain and we get it when we exercise. Um, but intermittent fasting and fasting can also help boost that BDNF. So those are key. The truth is that I could probably go through a slew of different genes, but I can't think other than like one health condition of somebody having like adrenal fatigue. I can't think of a lot of reasons people shouldn't be doing some type of fasting in their life at some point in time. Sometimes as a clinician, I have a hard time talking about fasting with people who have histories of like anorexia eating disorders and stuff, mm -hmm. just because I try not to put restrictions on them because they already have so many restrictions and the adrenal fatigue, but there's just not a lot of conditions where I can't think of like good reasons to fast. And we could go through lots of genes, but the truth is that sometimes, like I said, I, I don't, I don't treat genes that much. I treat the person and I use the genes as another layer of information to kind of work with them and create a personalized plan. I like that I, because that's what it should be used. They're, they're like GPS guides to help kind of customize the approach so the person could get faster results. So you mentioned 23andMe. Is that what you recommend for testing the genes? And does it, does it give you all the genes you mentioned plus others? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of different genetic tests on the market. And 23andMe is just kind of so commonly used now that... It's just what a lot of people say, and I, I'm comfortable with it because anybody that's interested in genetic testing is comfortable with it. But that's not to say it's like the best test out there, the only one. I do have a genetic report that if you create 23andMe, if you get 23andMe done, then you can go and create the genetic detoxification report, which tells you like your personal genetic type for um, the genes we've discussed and many more. And then the book that I wrote is, it goes through all of those genes in the genetic report. Like you get your genotype and then you can read about it in the book. Or I added some genes after writing the book. And so I just talk about them in the report. So I think that's great. Yeah, it's a brilliant idea. So we'll, we'll drop a link for 23andMe in the podcast notes, or it could be any company you want to use. But then specifically, if you do 23andMe, then they could reach out to you and then you could uh, create a custom report for them. And then your book would be kind of a companion for them to dive a little bit deeper because they know their 
They, you said their their genotype. Is that what you said? Yeah. So so the genotype because the report gives you your genotype, and then the book tells you like what the gene means, what you can do about it, nutritional stuff, lab testing stuff like that. Yeah. And where would they once they get that report from Twenty Three and Me? How do they reach out to you to get that report? From oh, they you? can just go to geneticdetoxification.com. It's just a website that you know they can do that. Yeah. And if they want me to work, like go through it with them, I'm more than happy to do that, you know, as you know, my practice, but they don't need me. They can also just get the report and do look at the book. Great. So we're going to put your website down below. Go ahead. I was going to say what we, what we haven't talked about that is really important. And I'm sorry if I'm jumping the gun here, but fasting after head injuries is really crucial. So like if you get a head injury, a traumatic brain injury, then if you fast for 24 hours after that head injury, then you are much more likely to have less damage to your brain. That's powerful. That's important because if you think about head injuries, it's not just from, I don't know, doing karate or whatever, but it's from sports, from car accidents. So you're saying if you fasted as soon as after the head injury, if you've fallen or whatever it is, it'll lessen the damage, let your body repair itself much faster than if you didn't fast. Yeah. So, and the people who have like the APOE4 gene, they're much more likely to have damage from head injuries because their blood brain barrier doesn't heal up very well after head injuries. So this is why it's really key to know what your genotype is, because if you have the APOE4 gene and your, you know, lifetime goal or career is to play in the NFL or, you know, the hockey league or, you know, whatever, then you're basically at a much higher risk for having severe neurodegenerative issues because you never heal up from that concussion. The blood brain barrier doesn't heal up. And then you just get hit again and again. And if you have one concussion and you don't heal up from it before you get the second or God forbid the third, then you're really in serious trouble and you have so much damage. So healing up from those concussions is key. And a key part of that concussion healing up plan for, I think just about everybody should be fasting for 24 hours after that. If the research shows if you fast for 48 hours, it doesn't actually make it better. It's really that 24 hour window. And then they wanted to figure out when they did the research, they wanted to know why does this help? Is it because the blood sugar is getting low um, or is it because the ketones? And they found that indeed the ketones was the reason for the decreased damage to the cerebral cortex. Because they did a study where in the same study that was looking at this, they said, okay, well, let's have these mice not fast and let's just give them a low dose of IV uh, beta-hydroxybutyrate, the ketone, and let's see if they have less damage to their brain. And indeed they did. Then, yeah, so, and when you fast, you know, your body naturally makes the beta-hydroxybutyrate Some people make more than others. Children make more than adults. There probably is a gene where some people just don't make beta-hydroxybutyrate as well as others. I would love to know what that one is. Unfortunately, I can't tell you what it is. I I know that the um, Alzheimer's gene, that is one where they don't make it as well. That's for sure. But so much of that is also gut. Like I don't Mm. naturally make very much beta-hydroxybutyrate. 
You think that's because of uh, the gut issues you had? I think that there's something more to it than just okay. my gut issues. I think it might be genetic. I just don't know what that gene is. So because like on my stool test, like if I do the, the GI effects from Genova, the three-day stool test, that tells you what your stool levels of the butyrate is. And my levels are always low. And then like my daughter had the same thing. And she's, you know, at the time, I think she was probably five years old. So that tells me that there's, it's, I think it's probably genetic. It could also be our gut flora because the, the butyrate is made in your gut from that bacteria digesting the fiber and then cr- shooting off the butyrate. Interesting. If you're anything like me, you spend a lot of money on supplements each month. Have you ever thought these supplements are actually working for you? Are they attaching to your receptor sites and helping your cells do a specific job? What if you're not getting enough minerals? Or what if you have too much of something creating an imbalance in other minerals? Knowing this will not only save you money, but it'll also improve your health so you could balance out the vitamins and minerals that you really need. With that being said, how the heck do you know if you have a mineral imbalance. What I'm bringing you today is a chance to accurately test all of that at the comfort of your home. In this case, I'm talking about my friends over at Upgraded Formulas and their upgraded hair test kit and consultation. When you discover the truth here and what's going on with your body, you can vanquish any of those hidden deficiencies that are affecting your metabolism, thyroid, adrenals, mental performance, endurance, strength, and sleep just to name a few. I've had Barton Scott on the show before and he gave a masterclass on minerals. How this works is simple. You are sent a test kit and you use some of your hair. You just cut off a short piece of your hair. It could be on your head or pubic hair. You send it back to them and they have your results. They also offer a consultation to go over your results with you. It's simple, it's effective, and it's one of the best tests to know if what you're doing is working for you or not. If you'd like to get your hands on their deficiency test and consultation, head to upgradedformulas.com. Use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 to receive 15% off your entire order. That is upgradedformulas.com. Use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 at checkout. We'll also drop a link down below. Yeah, you know, in regards to those who have trouble producing ketones, of course, there's a lot of troubleshooting things you can do. But I remember I interviewed uh, Christina Hess, who's a colleague of mine. We were talking about this. I don't remember if there was a specific gene. I might be wrong, but I do remember this, and I want to hear your your input on this. I remember her saying that taking L-carnitine, potentially, if you're struggling to get into ketosis, taking L-carnitine could actually help because it's kind of like a bus that shuttles fat to your mitochondria to help it start burning fatty acids. Would that make sense to you, taking L-carnitine? I used to give a lot of people L-carnitine for, I think, basically the same reason you just said. Now I like to do a test called TMAO. It's a blood test. Mm-hmm. Because if you have high levels of TMAO, l Carnitine can sometimes make higher levels of TMAO, and that can increase your risk for cancers like colon cancer and stuff. So, but I used to give a lot of carnitine to people, and now I'm a little bit more hesitant for that reason because I don't want to be inadvertently increasing TMAO and like 
having them have an increased risk for cancer because of this supplement, you know? You would test TMAO with a blood test? Yeah. Okay. So if you want to take L-carnitine, probably a good idea for you to get your TMAO levels tested to see if they're already high. If they're high, you're saying probably not a good idea, right. idea to take L-carnitine. Okay. Right. Because some people, they just, the way they process L-carnitine can be more problematic. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. When you started doing research for your book and all through the years, as you've been, you know, studying genetics and epigenetics, what is, has been the most surprising thing you've learned about genes and genomics? Hmm. That it doesn't matter like how much we know, it really all comes down to what, you know, we're taught when we're five years old, you need to exercise you need to eat right and, you know, you need to have a good mental health, you know? And then as a clinician, you're being thrown all these really complicated patients that have years and years of damage. And the kids are so easy to fix because like, it doesn't matter if it's just an adjustment or like a chemical type. They're so easy to fix because they haven't had as much damage. It's these adults where you have to get like so super involved and have all these extra tools and the genes and the nutrition and the labs are an important part of that. Sometimes it's much just to help them understand how bad they are because a lot of people are totally unaware of how unhealthy they are. Yeah, all the time I see that. Yeah, you're right because as you get older, your stress bucket gets more full and full and full and there's a lot more things you need to do to empty out that bucket versus a child who has their stress bucket lowered. So um, that's interesting. Yeah, you're, you're saying pretty much the fundamentals, you know, start with the fundamentals, uh, movement, mental health, sleep, eating real food, and then you could kind of get more specific. And the older you are, the more specific you want to go. I think another thing that's like kind of mind blowing to me about genetics is that most cancers are not genetic. Like, most cancers, and I can't remember the exact number, but I think it's almost like over 90%, maybe like 98 or something percent of cancers are not genetic. If you have some of those cancer genes, like the BRCA gene, you're statistically much more likely to get cancer. But most of them are not genetic. Most of them are environmental. And so much of that comes down to just like the amount of toxins that we're being thrown at in our environment. And then some of it, maybe we're not looking at the right genes. Like maybe we need to be looking more at the glutathione genes rather than just like the BRCA cancer genes, you know? So maybe they are genetic and we just don't have the right genes that we're lining up with them. Yeah. And how, how many times have people discovered, oh, I have the BRCA gene or I have this gene. So they'll, they'll get a surgery, a selective surgery, but they don't change their lifestyle. They don't change their environmental toxins and they still end up getting the cancer that they were trying to avoid through surgery. So you got to do the lifestyle work and you don't necessarily have to do the surgery. Of course, that's your decision. But to your point, Christy, Dr. Bruce Lipton said that, yeah, 99% is, is under our control and only 1% is, is strictly genetics, which mm -hmm. is very inspiring and empowering and very different than the conversation you might have with a medical doctor, isn't it? Right. And one thing that's kind of sad about the whole BRCA gene is, and I'm just using this as an example, with the BRCA gene, you're at a higher risk for getting 
breast and ovarian cancer, but you're also at a higher risk for getting melanoma of the skin and pancreatic cancer. And so women can have like selective surgery to remove their breast and ovaries. And, you know, they can do that before they're diagnosed with cancer. But this whole idea that like your, your risk is gone, it's, it's not because you're still at a higher risk for the melanoma and the pancreatic cancer. Even if you have those surgeries to, you know, in your mind, get rid of the cancer risk, you still have to do all of the steps to make sure you don't get cancer, which is decreased your risk exposure to toxins like radiation, chemical toxins, that type of stuff. Make sure you have plenty of nutrients. The BRCA gene, the BRCA enzyme needs a lot of zinc. So, you know, just making sure you have lots of nutrients. And I talk about that gene in my book and, you know, that's kind of a tangent, but clearly, you know, our environment is really what's going to control our risk for a lot of these issues. And that's empowering. And, and, you know, for people to understand your genes are not your destiny. You have control. You have 99% control over it. And um, when it comes to to, uh, skin cancer, which uh, I I don't know what the percentage is for, do you know what it is? It's one of the top cancers, I believe, in in the U.S., skin cancer, right? Yeah, I couldn't tell you the exact percentage. Yeah, yeah. it's up there as one of the highest uh, cancers in, in the U.S., probably in the world. But let me ask you this. In regards to skin cancer, what do you think is going to cause, more likely to cause skin cancer? Excessive sunlight or a poor diet? What will contribute to it faster? I think it depends on the person, honestly. So for some people, like it doesn't matter, I think, how much sunlight they get. They're just, they have this beautiful olive colored skin that hardly ever burns and they just are less likely to get skin cancer. And then for other people, like they have just the most sensitive skin possible and they really should be living in Ireland and they're living in Texas or Florida. And then, you know, there's other people that, you know, their gut is so incredibly sensitive. And if, if they don't eat a clean diet, then their gut's going to have horrible issues and other people, they can eat anything they want and have, you know, apparently very few issues. So personally, I think, you know, you've got to eat a clean diet and, be careful about your skin type. So, you know, you have nice olive skin and, you know, that's, that's wonderful. And hopefully, you know, you'll never get skin cancer. I don't, I have pasty white skin and I grew up believing I should be tan and I just, you know, spent too much time out in the sun and I got burn after burn. And then I also got, you know, through some, a job I had where we, I got exposed to some radiation And, um, so I ended up with a squamous cell on my nose that they found on accident, basically, as it was being removed for a cosmetic type thing. And it came back as squamous cell and everybody, I had three dermatologists say that is a mistake. That was not squamous cell. But so, but then they went in and they took another biopsy and it was, so I had to do the whole nose and everything. And however, having lived through that, I started doing some research and I thought it was very interesting that I discovered this research from Australia and Australia has a really high rate of skin cancer because, you know, they, they brought all these people down from like 
England and Scotland area and they took him to Australia and it's outside, you know, they all want to be outside and it's beautiful. And then I think there was even a hole of the ozone like in the ozone layer, like over Australia. So they just, there's a lot of exposure. So they have one of the highest rates of skin cancer. And they did a big study where they gave people 25, or they gave them 500 milligrams of niacinamide a day, which niacinamide, vitamin B3, the same vitamin that I nearly died of when I was younger from the deficiency in it. And that cut the risk of squamous cell and basal cell cancer by, I think, 25%, 500 milligrams, because it reduced DNA damage in the skin and probably other places too. Mm, interesting. So but takes it back to your diet. The diet is where you get your nutrients, and the nutrients are like ultimately what's going to protect you. So it, you know, if you're going to get a lot of sun exposure and a lot is really relative for me, a lot is not as much as probably a lot for you, then I've got to be extra good about making sure that I'm getting, you know, eating a clean diet and not getting a bunch of sugar and all those things. Yep. Yeah. We both agree. We don't, you don't want to get burned. So find that threshold where you're not getting burned, but getting enough, you know, Mm -hmm. sunlight is great for you, but you don't want to get burned. I have noticed just, um, through working with clients, as I get them off of uh, vegetable oils and seed oils, and you know if they're taking too much fish oil, lower that or get them off fish oil, they burn less and they're able to tolerate more sunlight, more sunshine. To your point, it's like diet that contributes to it. I also interviewed Dr. Sandra Kaufman, who's like an anti-aging doctor. She has a book called The Kaufman Protocol. And she mentioned uh, through her research that taking astaxanthin uh, will really help prevent you from getting burnt and how uh, I take it all the time. If I know I'm going to be outside in the sun, I'll take more astaxanthin. And also, I wonder if there's a similar mechanism to the B3. So that that's fascinating. Have you seen anything about that? Yeah, astaxanthin is really good at preventing DNA damage. That's why it's also so good at protecting your mm-hmm. eyes from like damage and um, macular degeneration and things like that, which... I worry about a lot. And there are AMD genes, age-related macular degeneration genes, and they're in that report. Um, but I worry a lot about that because um, we're exposed to so much LED light and everything. Yeah, so true. Yeah. And a lot of the same things that are good for your skin are really, really good for your eyes too. Makes sense. Yeah, that's great. So yeah. your, your book could be found on Amazon. Is there anywhere else they could get your book or should they go to Amazon? I mean, they can get it from the genetic detoxification website, but Amazon is definitely an easy way to get it also. So geneticdetoxification.com is your website. We're going to put that down below. The name of your book is Genetic Testing, Defining Your Path to Personalized Health Plan, to a Personalized Health Plan, an Integrative Approach to Optimize Health. I recommend everybody go get their genetic testing done. 23andMe, we'll put a link down below and then reach out to you and get that report. Where else can they follow you on your social media? Is there anywhere else you want them to go check you out? I started a YouTube channel. Awesome. (laughs) Smart. (laughs) I I started an Instagram account, but I don't really do much with it. I think I need to maybe do TikTok now that I'm learning about how TikTok's taking over. It is. It's taking over. (laughs) Definitely do TikTok. I know way more about genes than I do about marketing. (laughs) Well, take the knowledge to TikTok and you'll get a lot of people following you. So yeah, YouTube's probably the best um, out of all of them anyway. So we'll put your YouTube channel down below and your Instagram. And uh, yeah, I want to thank you for for coming on here and educating 
the keto campers. I'm sure we'll share another stage together at a future Systemic Formulas events. And I appreciate your knowledge and your expertise and your very inspirational backstory. It was really, really cool to hear that. Well, thank you for having me. You're, you're such a positive person. So I really enjoy watching, uh, following you on Instagram. You always have your positive quotes and everything. And Thank you. I, it's a big part of my uh, studying is uh, the mindset part. So I appreciate that, Christine. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks. Take care. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Christy Sutton. I recommend you get her book by clicking the link down below. Her book is called Genetic Testing. And if you want to do that genetic mapping she was speaking about, then consider getting a 23andMe DNA test done. I'll drop a link for that as well in the podcast notes down below. Go check her out. We'll put all the references and everything mentioned, timestamps, et cetera, could be found down below in the notes of this podcast. Please consider sharing this podcast with somebody you know. And if you haven't left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review yet, please do so right now. Follow me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at the Benazadi. Also putting out some cool things on TikTok. Same handle at the Ben Azadi. Final reminder here to learn more about my detox program and see if you are a good fit. We have three spots left. Head to ketocampdetox.com, watch a short video, learn more, and hopefully I could help you detox those heavy metals. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I will see you on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.